Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, across the board. We just finished Sports Talk Saturdays. Bruce Kessinger was on that one. Now we're going live from Seattle, Washington, standing above the crowd, hosted by James Donaldson. And uh, yours truly, Mark Mancini, producing it, playing a little co-host a little today. 347-205-9631. Catch the archive version, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports podcast platforms wherever you subscribe to powered now by Mancini Media so without further ado let me lay the red carpet down put the podium in its place hand off the mic first of all James how are you this morning second of all how can people get a hold of you third of all we're going to have a great guest here in about 10 minutes hey thank you so much Mark it is wonderful uh here in Seattle again little overcast today, but that's Seattle for you. Still, still a great place to be. Uh, I'm doing just fine and uh, enjoying each and every day as we move forward here. Uh, and people can get a hold of me at James D at standingabovethecrowd.com. Uh, we do have a great guest coming in. She's kind of just getting off a flight and says she'll be at her phone 10 minutes after the hour or so. So she'll call in as soon as she quickly can. And I'll give you a, an intro uh, when I know that she's on the line, ready to go. You know, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit, though, about, uh, you know, our, our podcast that we are putting together here. Uh, this is intended to be, you know, uh, all about positive optimism, overcoming adversary, uh, ad, ad, adversaries. And, uh, you know, the reason it's called standing above the crowd is because I really want people to be able to stand above. Uh, all of life's uh, negativities and, you know, all the scuttlebutt that surrounds us every single day and not get caught up in that stuff. Uh, the guests we've had so far have been just uh, exemplary in those kind of things. They've hung in there. They've overcome challenges. They've excelled anyway in spite of. Uh, I'm talking uh, Coach Lenny Wilkins, Coach George Ravlin, uh NFL player Ruben Mays, and our guest today even. So that's why it's called Standing Up by the Crowd. It's actually titled after a book I uh, published about 10 years ago, Standing Above the Crowd, uh, Creating Your Game Plan for Life and Sports. And uh, I think it was some really good work I put together. I took 20 years of my professional sports uh, basketball career, 20 years as a small business owner, 30 years of community involvement, and saw so all the similarities and all of that uh, as far as the success strategies I implemented and brought them all together to kind of put it, uh, put it in a book format for people to read about how to overcome, how to persevere, how to hang in there, how to stay positive and optimistic and continue to achieve your goals in sports and life. So if you uh, are interested in a copy, a signed copy of Standing Above the Crowd, just shoot me an email at jamesd at standingabovethecrowd.com, and I will get that copy off to you uh, as quickly as possible. So um, today, you know, we have a little bit different format. Uh, our guest is not quite ready to come on yet, but we do have our producer, Mark Mancini, and a special guest, uh, Patrick Snow, who is uh, one of my great coaches, not so much in sports, but in life and in book publishing and all those things. Uh, they are there for, uh, you know, fill in and questions and things as we get going. I'm looking at uh, our first uh, 
our first question, inquiry, from uh, Daryl from Evansville, Indiana. And he says, it's a great show as always, James. You're an inspiration. Uh, I do Peter Ray's show out of Cleveland every two weeks. And he says, Peter and, and myself in Cleveland are amazing as well. Uh, thank you so much for that, Daryl. Uh, you know, Peter is very much like I am. We're all about being positive and optimistic and, and giving credit where credit is due. Uh, and just staying humble and working hard. And that's that's Peter, that's me, that's a lot of the guests that you'll find on this show as we move forward here. Um, Mark, I want to kick it back to you at this moment and see if you have any uh, questions or any uh, recap of the shows that we've done so far. Mark Mancini. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, James. And, boy, I'll tell you, to start these shows off with Lenny Wilkins, and, and, and George Ravlin and Ruben Mays is just simply amazing. And, you know, when I think of Lenny Wilkins, man, I, I, I you know, one of the great coaches that I, you know, was always admired to meet uh, was Pat Riley. And, and I got Lenny up there with him. And, you, and, you know, you played with some great coaches across the things. I know, I think in Dallas, you, you might have played with Dick Mata. I did. If I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, these great coaches. Uh, you know, with with the Phil Jacksons and everything, how much has it changed with that, uh, you know, coaching tree from where it is now? I think you have a lot of different coaches now compared to the expertise and knowledge that these guys gave you when you were playing the game. Any thought to that? Absolutely. You know, the coaches I played for, and, and so many of them were Hall of Fame coaches there in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Lenny Wilkins, uh, Jerry Sloan, Pat Riley, Dick Mata. Uh, you know, I played with some great, great coaches throughout the years. And these were basketball lifers, you know. Now, with the exception of Lenny Wilkins, who was actually a great basketball player as well, the rest of them were just basketball minds. I mean, uh, Pat Riley played professional sports for a while, but he he really made his mark as a as a master basketball coach with the L.A. Lakers. And, um, you know, you learn so much from these kind of people. They really dedicate their lives to training and bringing up young, young people to be the best that they can be and tapping into that, um, into that, into that potential that we all have. Uh, and that's what I really appreciate about all of my coaches. They saw the potential in me long before I saw it. They saw what they thought I was capable of doing, and I didn't think I was capable of doing and pushing myself to that level. But that's what those great coaches get out of you. And I'm just so happy to see that, you know, we've got a whole new generation of younger coaches now. A lot of them are coming off the trees of the Pat Rileys and the Dick Matas and the Lenny Wilkins. They've coached with those guys before. It's so great to see those younger coaches out there following through with the same kind of examples. Great point. And now I know Patrick has a uh, comment and a question. Patrick, welcome. Well, James, it's an absolute pleasure to hear you on the show. I've been a loyal listener from the beginning, and uh, you are the epitome of someone who stands above their crowd in their personal life and their business life. And what an honor and a joy to meet, with, uh, to meet you, to know you, and to have you as a friend. Uh, I want to, you know, reminisce a bit. You uh, took me and my son to uh, – Mariners game probably 20 years ago. We had a nice corporate suite, and then I think we went to a Seahawks game as well. And that might have been that Monday night uh, football game when uh, Terrell Owens 
caught that touchdown pass and had that Sharpie marker in his sock and he pulled it out and signed the football and gave it to a fan. And so I just want to let everybody know that, uh, James, you are the real deal and you are standing above the crowd in all areas of my life. So my comment today is, you know, my son is now 30 and he's never forgotten those experiences of, you know, having the opportunity to hang with you and go to those games. What is the relationship in your 14-year NBA career? You know, you were a Hiram Globetrotter. You played professionally in, in Europe. You were an NBA all-star. I love the YouTube video with you rejected Michael Jordan uh, on YouTube in the all-star game. Um, what is it like as a pro athlete of interacting with your fans? What is that relationship like? Um, talk about it from your perspective because, you know, from the fan perspective, they want autographs, they want, you know, your sneakers, they want whatever they can get. Do you, uh, do you yeah. enjoy that? Is it uh, difficult? Talk about that because you've made an impact on my son all these years. Thank you. Thanks you so much, Patrick. Uh, and that, that's what I've always intended to do was to leave a positive impact on our younger people especially. Uh, I've always enjoyed the fan interaction. Now, of course, there's times where you, you relish your privacy and you wish people would just leave you alone. And they do tend to respect that if you let that be known. But back in the day when I played with the Seattle Supersonics, uh, we didn't have security walking us back and forth to our cars. We parked our cars right into the general parking lot, and we'd walk out of the game, you know, after showering and the press conference. Uh, and the fans would be out there waiting and many times escorting us to our cars. I mean, that was just pure, you know, uh, fan, fan, fandomism, I guess, you know, uh, the fans just really loved us as people. They saw us as people, not just sports stars. Nowadays, I don't know if fans get that opportunity. I, it's hard to get close to the individual professional players now. There's so much security around. There's so much, so many personnel, so many other posse members that uh, I don't think the players get a chance to enjoy it nearly as much as we did back in those days. And so I, I've always given back to my communities. I continue to give back. I, I'm hoping to start up a large basketball camp for kids this summer where it's for individual kids, like back in the day, instead of the team camps and the, the five-star camps and all the rest of these elite camps, these are just regular kids from neighborhoods, from the city that want to go to a basketball camp for a week and be taught good fundamental basketball and some life skills as well. So I want to get back into that kind of work, and uh, that's what I'm looking forward to this summer. Wow. That sounds great as we get loaded up with listeners here, and we're still waiting for Ruthie Bolton to come in, two-time Olympian golden medal winner. And, boy, that's going to be something to talk about with the Olympics uh, going on right now. Any thought to that, James? Well, that, that's why I wanted Ruthie on today, because I know the Winter Olympics are wrapping up tomorrow over in Beijing and in China. So uh, Ruthie would have that real-life experience of being an Olympian, a two-time gold medal winning for women's basketball. And also she was the WNBA player with the Sacramento Monarchs for years and years. Uh, fantastic. She's got a great life story. She's overcome adversity, as we were talking about earlier in the show. Uh, she's written a couple of books, uh, you know, things that she's gone through personally that I'm sure she won't be afraid to talk about, uh, domestic violence, uh, molestations, growing up in dysfunctional home, 
and all of those kind of things. Ruthie put together a couple of wonderful books that I encourage everybody to look up and, and get, and we'll give her the opportunity to talk more about that when she comes on board. Um, there's a couple of questions here. Let's see. Um, uh, Billy from Modesto, California is asking about any skirmishes back in the day. <laughs> well, you know, they didn't call me Dukes. They didn't call me Dukes for nothing. <laughs> so I, I was always the, the big guy, the enforcer on, on most of the teams I played with. Uh, you know, if they weren't a big physical imposing team like the Seattle Supersonics back in the day with Jack Sigma and, and Lonnie Shelton and Dennis Autry, you know, enforcers themselves, or the New York Knicks, who I played with in 92 with Pat Riley. And we had enforcers on every position with uh, Pat Ewing and Charles Oakley and Charles Smith and oh, Greg Anthony, uh, John Starks, all those guys, uh, Xavier McDaniel. So I played with some very physical teams, but the other teams I played with weren't quite so physical. So I had to be the big enforcer in the middle uh, with our Dallas Maverick teams especially. Uh, great Offensive team, offensive players, Rolando Blackman, Derek Harper, Mark Aguirre, but they weren't fighters. They, you know, they, they'd tuck tail and run as soon as somebody got after them, so that was my job to protect those guys. Uh, I did get into some skirmishes, uh, most notably with uh, Tom Chambers when I was back with the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, me and Tom squared off, and uh, the benches emptied from both benches, and we ended up uh, in the corner of the kingdom then, back then. Uh, and another big skirmish with Mark West with the Phoenix Suns uh, that I had broke my consecutive playing streak with. I got suspended after 586 games of never missing a game. I got suspended for the next game with, by David Stern. So that broke my consecutive streak. But, um, you know, uh, so I was never afraid to, to, to stand up for myself or for my teammates. That, that's what that was all about. Uh, looks like we got another question from Patrick. Hey, Patrick Snow, you got a question there? Yeah, James, uh, I just watched an interview with uh, Joe Burrow and Breeze about the Bengals' run to the Super Bowl. And Joe had went off and said that, you know, we were a very good team, lots of great talent. But he said one of the things that really set us apart from so many other teams was the locker room, the bonding, the friendships, the experience, the joking around in the locker room. Can you talk about how important that is to a team and what you've experienced in some of your locker room relationships and friends that have lasted you a lifetime? How important is that to bring in a championship home? You know, team camaraderie is so important. I, I played on some talented, talented teams that struggled to win 30 games during an NBA season, uh, most notably my teams with the uh, San Diego Clippers and, and Los Angeles Clippers. We had Bill Walton, uh, Terry Cummings, Michael Brooks, Jerome Whitehead, Norm Nixon, Derek Smith. We had all-star players in every position, and we couldn't win 30 games. You know, we didn't have the camaraderie, the chemistry in the locker room where guys really care about each other and are there for each other no matter what. So uh, I found that camaraderie with the Dallas Mavericks. We had great teams with them. I think we could have been even better if we had even more of a cohesive unit of the guys really caring for each other and looking for each other. But my other two teams, the New York Knicks, the Utah Jazz, I mean, those teams were really cohesive in the chemistry and the camaraderie. The friendships were so deep. 
uh, and we stood up for each other every single night. So that's a big, big difference in why teams either make it to a championship game and win it, or they fall short continually. Wow, great uh, questions uh, across the board. And I know, James, we're getting another one uh, coming out of uh, Vero Beach, Florida. Jerry says, who pays the tab, James? You are the team when you get suspended. (laughs) (laughs) I end up paying paying the tab. Matter of fact, I came across some old old receipts uh, just the other day. I'm going through boxes and boxes of memorabilia from 30, 40 years ago. And I have all these old fine notices I got from the NBA. You know, things like <laughs> hang on the rim, I got fined $100. Uh, throwing the elbow, I got fined $300. So I had to pay all these fines for myself. Uh, now, I'm pretty sure my tax accountant made it a business expense since I, I was working at the time. Um, but, yeah, so I'm going to put those big receipts out there because they're all signed off on by David Stern and let people see this memorabilia collection I have of all these fines and infractions, uh, technical fouls from the referees, you get fined, all those kind of things. Of course, the numbers are, you know, they probably add another zero or two zeros to it nowadays. The guys can afford it, but uh, that was that was how we handled it back then. Wow. Uh, let, let, me get, let me get this one in. I know there's another – Patrick has another question, but uh, Michael – from uh, Shreveport, Louisiana goes, they had some crazy uniforms in the day when you played, James. These things now look like USFL colors or something out of the D-League. Any thought? <laughs> well, this, this, is, this is a route professional sports and college sports have gone now. Uh, they make, uh, uh, you know, different designs to the uniforms. They try to stick with the team colors but sometimes they get even far away from the team colors. Uh, this is all in the matter to sell more souvenirs and memorabilia for the team, get people out there around town wearing every single jersey, every single T-shirt, every single hat. Uh, so nowadays, yeah, it's all about marketing and publicity and getting attention. Uh, and I think people like to be unique. They don't want to have the same cookie-cut jersey that every other kid has. Uh, they want to mix it up a little bit as well. Uh, hey, there's a question came in here with uh, Jerry from Vero Beach, Florida. Yeah. Uh, and he's the one asking who pays the tab when we get suspended. Yeah. yeah so that, uh, Jerry, yeah, so that's the players. The players have to end up paying that. Now, maybe a superstar players don't have to, but even they get, uh, they get a tax write-off it too. So they can put it on their business expense and recover it if they want to. Right. Patrick, you got another question as we wait for the, the guests to come in and Ruthie. Yeah, we're talking big money, big contracts. Everybody wants to provide for the family, become multimillionaires. Seems like today in professional sports. Is there like a green light for players to just take it to the rack and score and, and run up their numbers? Or is it pretty much given that, you know, these NBA teams, you got two, three, four scores and everybody plays the role. And don't be taking shots away from this person. Don't be taking shots away from that person. Uh, talk about the chemistry in terms of who has the green light to, to, to shoot the threes all day and who has the green light to, hey, make certain that you play your role and you assist the ball and you play defense and rebound. Talk about that kind of, you know, dilemma. Exactly. You know, and, of course, professional sports especially and collegiate sports somewhat, 
but professional sports especially is a business, a big, big business. When a team invests into their first-round draft picks, those draft picks are basically given the green light to go out there and do what they need to do. This is the investment the team is making, and they want to make sure that 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 particular commodity, I'll call them, is going to shine and get get the job done. Uh, other teammates know this. They acknowledge that, and so they tend to step aside. If they can't step aside and submerge their own ego, then you start having problems and rumblings and things. Uh, this happened to me when I was with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, and we drafted Benoit Benjamin as the number one draft pick, uh, first-round draft pick center. So I knew as a matter of time he was going to take my job. I wasn't uh, a first-round pick, but I was a starting center at the time. It was a matter – the writing was on the wall. I got traded to the Dallas Mavericks uh, a month or two into the season, and my NBA career really took off at that point. So, uh, But you have to realize that this is a big investment for teams. They want to see their investments get a return on investment, and they're going to make sure those players get the green light to get out there and perform as much and as, 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 as possible that they can do that. Um, it looks like Ruthie Bolton is calling in. Do you see that, Mark? Yep, and I paid you through, brother. Hello? Hey, is this Ruthie? Ruthie, is that you? This me. That's this me. <laughs> the, six, the 16 of 20. The, six, the 16 of 20. Okay, 16 of 20 kids. Wow. What you know, we only have about eight or nine minutes, Ruthie, but I wanted to get you on here to talk about your Olympic experiences. Tomorrow is the last day of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Uh, so quickly, tell us about your winning those two gold medals in women's basketball and your Olympic experience. Give us a couple minutes of that, that recap. Yeah, well, you know, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to uh, create a space to share uh, some great, great, great memories. And, and I know it sounds cliche when it says it felt like it was just yesterday, and it does because those memories will last a, a, a lifetime. And, and the fact that how hard it took to be to become an Olympian, my struggle and my challenges of being rejected, not good enough. And so I have had the, the mindset to lean in and to persevere. And so when I'm sharing this story with, with you, I said, I always like to share my medals and take them say, Hey, you, you see these medals? I said, these medals, I'm taking them and showing them not to brag, but just remind you that don't let mm-hmm. someone hold your destiny. Don't let someone write the movie to your story. Don't let someone, tell you what you can and can't do. You got to have that inner drive to say, I want this. I'm going to go for it if I had to fall flat on my face. So that's what that experience has been like. It's been working hard. And I'm going to share this because one of the things that stands out the most is that the 1996 Olympics is when the coach was had us, she had right when they were getting ready to announce the team. And she named everybody why they made the team. For example, Lisa Leslie, you made the team because of your scoring ability. Teresa Edwards, your leadership. Don Staley, you know, your 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 leadership. Nikki McCray, your defense. Katie, your shooting. So I'm thinking, what is she going to say about me? When she got <laughs> to me, she just said, she said, uh, you know, I just told the Olympic committee that I'm not going to leave the, I'm not going to leave the country without Ruthie and that I need her on my team because I can trust her in my foxhole. Wow. That's a military wow. term. I can trust her in my foxhole. To me, that's one of the biggest compliments you can ever get from a coach, is that she can that's trust good. me when I'm playing well. She can trust me when I'm 
not playing well. So to me, that what the experience been like. The Olympics being able to represent not just my family but the country and remind people of uh, being a, of, of, of excellence. And, it, and, and so there's a lot of Olympic moments you can have in life. And it's not just about the Olympics itself. It's just what it, it's a mindset. So I feel like the Olympics is a mindset. But you know, everybody that makes the Olympics has to have a mindset, a determination, and, and, and a resilience that's second to none. So. So really, just been awesome, and uh, I don't know if you knew, uh, James. Uh, ESPN is doing a movie on our nineteen ninety six Olympic team that it's going to mm-hmm. air, I think, in June. But they're, they'll start doing a trailer. I want to say about a month or so. And so, yeah, so it's going to be. It's, it was just. It was so awesome this past six to nine months filming it and reminiscing about those memories. Sorry. Uh, so it's it's been wow. it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey to share with with the world. That that is wonderful, Ruthie. And please come back and be a guest on our show in June when that trailer uh-huh. and that movie starts to come out. We'll definitely reschedule for that. Now I want to remind the folks you played in the nineteen ninety six Atlanta Olympic Games and also the two thousand Sydney Australia Olympic Games. Uh, you were a two-time WNBA All-Star, 1999 and 2001, uh, WNBA first team in 97. You have had quite the career, uh, not just sports, but your life after the game has been even more impressive. I mean, you have written books, published articles, you're a professional yes. speaker. Uh, why don't you do a quick promo for yourself and for your books? Tell the folks the titles of your books and what they can get a copy of it from you. Well, I tell you what, you know what? I, I, listen, the book, The Ride of a Lifetime, talks about my journey. It just said how I stayed the course, getting on that bus, like not getting off, because it, it was tough. It's tough to, to, when you, you know, to get on the bus and go ride 10 hours, go to a school that said you want to play your senior year. It, that was a tough spot, but like my dad said, get on that bus. That may be the most important ride you ever take. And so that what that book is about, staying the course. And then the book from Pain Devour talks about, unfortunately, I, I experienced domestic violence during my marriage. And so it was just it just talking about now how do I turn that pain to power now. And that's about being transparent, being vulnerable, and sharing my story. Because the more I travel overseas, going to women's prisons, sharing my story of hope, I feel like I'm a voice for women that don't have a voice, that have gone through. And I felt like I had lost. When I was going through that, I felt like I lost me. I felt like I didn't deserve mm-hmm. any good things that I got. So, so anyway, this is what I'm saying. If anybody out there wants to get a book, I am going to actually have them just email. Like I'm, My website is being <laughs> worked on as we speak. But have them to send me a message on Messenger, um, on my okay. Facebook, Ruthie Bolton, or my Ruthie, or they can send it to you. Why don't they send it to you if they want, you know, and then I could get uh, each. The books are $20 each, and uh, but it's a it's a. It's not just a book. It's just a, really. It's a lot of. Uh, it's, I, I think a lot of people said reading the book, it, it reflects a lot and it resonates a lot with a lot of time what they've gone through. And it's just about how do you be the best version of you? Because you know we're gonna go through stuff, James, and adversity. Adversity make you bitter or makes you better. And so I just yeah. encourage. I want. I want it to make you better. So I want that book to be more than just about just reading the book, but something to make you a better version of you. Wonderful. And will you be able to personally sign and autograph the books for the folks? Of course I will, indeed, for sure. Good. Okay. Well, uh, I put my email out there, James D at standingabovethecrowd.com. You can shoot an email to me, or you can find Ruthie Bolton on 
Facebook Messenger. Just type her name in the search bar. She'll pop up and send her a message directly, and you can get a copy of those wonderful books. And that's what I was mentioning earlier in the show, Ruthie. This this show is all about standing above the crowd, above life's skirmishes, above oh, life's yeah. negativities, mm-hmm. the drama, all the craziness that can bring you down, being able to stand above all of that instead of standing out. You know, so a lot of people get out there and try to stand out from the crowd. Uh, they can put a rainbow color Afro wig on or paint big letters on their bare chested at, uh, at college basketball and football games. Yeah, you stand out for the crowd for a moment. But, you know, when that stuff oh, yeah. goes away, you're going right back to your old self. So we're talking about exactly. standing above crowd. You overcame adversity uh, in a tremendous way and got a tremendous message to so many people out there, not just women, but men, women, boys, girls. Uh, I want people to read oh, your yeah. book and to know you and know your story mm-hmm. again. And we definitely want to get you back out here uh, in June when that movie trailer starts playing and talk it up again. Uh, we got about 30 seconds left, Ruthie. Any last uh, wrap-up words you'd yeah. like to share with everybody? Yeah, this is my last wrap-up. This is my mindset right now. As I played on the court, matter of fact, in the 1996 Olympics, this girl was averaging 30 points, and my coach said, in order for us to be to win this goal, you got to get in this girl's grill. If she go to the bathroom, you go with her. I want you to get so close <laughs> that you can tell what toothpaste she used to brush her teeth with. I said, okay. I put a full-court press on her, and I my, my, I never said a word, but my eyes told her it's going to be the worst day of your life. So that mindset is what I have right now on life. You know, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of, unfortunately, suicide in schools. So, James, my, my, I have this sense of urgency. It's to get into as many schools as possible to share my story of victory, to share my story of to share my story of victory and, and, and determination. And so I want anybody out there that is interested in me, that have connection with schools, I'm being very bold. With schools, I want to come and speak. I want to really just really help change the trajectory of the future of these youth. And we it needs people with a conscience to impact change. So, hey, I'll have them reach out to you. And I'm ready to – I got a full-court press and trying to really do some uh, impact to youth and let them know that they matter, that they can, that, that they can rise above, and that uh, this is, they belong here. Thank you so much, Ruthie. Uh, we love you. We support you. And we want you to come back with us again soon. This is James Donaldson, standing above the crowd, wrapping up for today. Have a great day, everybody. Blessings.